0: Today's message, very simply, is uh, what's in the name? I'm going to start by asking a uh, difficult question. Does anyone know what an aptronym is? Aptronym. A-P-T-R-O-N-Y-M. Aptronym. Well, aptronym is a compound word consisting of the adjective apt, which means aptitude, and it also hooks up to the Greek word for name, An apternem is when someone's name and their occupation kind of line up perfectly. uh, And when they're called, what they're called actually describes what they do. So I'm going to give you some examples. You can play along. This guy's name is Dr. Bowser. Veterinarian. There you go. Roy Grout. Bricklayer. Dan Druff barber, Otto Nogo, mechanic, Dr. Smiley, orthodontist, Sonia Shears, hairdresser, Dr. Whitehead, dermatologist, Dr. Smellsy, podiatrist, Bob Yacker, pastor. <laughs> now, you know, parents uh, go through a long kind of ordeal uh, trying to decide what to name their kids. Now, why is it? Because I think most parents understand that whatever name you attach to their kids, they're going to carry that for a long time. And sometimes parents make the mistake of giving their kids some names that the other kids in the class figure out other names to call them, kind of based on the original name. Now, in the Old Testament times, a name stood for a person's reputation. It stood for their fame or their glory. And actually, that word name in the Bible literally means a mark or a brand. This is what you've been marked with at birth. This is the brand your parents put on you at some point. And a study of Bible names actually reveals a whole lot about people Uh, who they were, and how you would describe them. For example, uh, King David. David means beloved, and he was the beloved king for the most part. Uh, Abraham, as you might guess, Abraham means father of a multitude. And so everything kind of flows out of the family of Abraham. Uh, Jacob, I don't know if anybody had called your kids Jacob or Jake, but that means deceiver or one who deceives people. Not a great name to on to some kid uh, But Isaac means laughter uh, Moses means drawn out and You got that picture of when he was Floating in the river And, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter drew him out of that uh, And you've also got The name of Jesus And Jesus very literally Is Jehovah saves Now all of these people Proved very true To their names In fact if you do a little word search and I did this this last week thinking about names, there are over 100 names uh, in the Bible that are associated with Jesus and numerous other names that are given to God the Father and also to God the Holy Spirit. But today we're only going to study four different names, the ones we've already kind of seen on the screen. uh, But these were names that were given to Jesus 700 years before he was ever born. So we're going to start back in in chapter 9. Of Isaiah, and I want to kind of set that little chapter in context because as I read through it, some of you thought, well, the last part I knew before, but this first part, what is this nonsense that's going on in verse 1? Well, we need to understand that. And so back in verse 1, it's it set in the midst of what I would call uh, doom and gloom. And verse 1 says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. I apologize. Today I'm reading from the King James. I have no idea why I'm doing that. But I, I kind of like the way it sounded. It says, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now, what on earth is that all about? Well, if you could see a map of what we call the Holy Land today, you would notice that in Old Testament times, Zebulun and Naphtali are located in northern Israel to the place today that we call Galilee, And for many years, uh, the people here suffered a lot of grief, mainly because they weren't doing the right thing and God kept afflicting them. Uh, but Isaiah tells of a time in the future when all the gloom and the doom of this particular place called Galilee would be replaced with joy. And you may remember that Jesus came from Galilee. And he was even called Jesus of Galilee. So don't miss this, that Christmas was and is born in the middle of grief. While the angels were out singing with their glorious choir, Peace on Earth, Herod was preparing to slaughter all the little baby boys under a certain age. And while Mary was worshiping and had this little baby in her arms, there were other women in that area who were weeping because their children had been slaughtered by King Herod. That's kind of the setting of this chapter. But we want to get down to verse 6 because this is kind of the important part. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and this is a, a wonderful list, he's called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In that one little verse, Kind of describes, it's kind of a, the indescribable, really, uniqueness of Jesus where both his humanity and his deity is kind of put together. It says, For unto us, that would be us's right here, unto us a child is born. And so that describes his birth as a baby. That's his humanity. I mean, this is an honest to goodness man delivered into this world, but it also says, Unto us a son is. Given. And so Jesus is God's Son, born as a human, but given to us in the presence of His deity. Now, someone once said uh, the Son wasn't born, the Son existed eternally. The child was born, but the Son was given. And on top of that, it said the government would be on His shoulders. And this means that all the expectations that were loaded on King David 700 years before or even more were now going to be placed on this new king who comes into this world. Now, the baby in the manger. We don't have a manger here, but I always think about manger scenes from Christmas programs a long time ago. You know, it looks very sweet and innocent. But, you know, it's the baby in the manger. If you actually take a close look at it. That little baby holds the universe together. Now, sometimes those of you that had little babies in your house, the universe was torn apart by them. They weren't putting nothing together. They were like a little tornado that just lived in your house for a period of time. But this little baby here holds it together. That baby that was that was carried in Mary's arms bore everything in the universe. Uh, The baby is the Redeemer. The baby is the ruler of all, and part of the reason we've been inoculated by the incarnation and even kind of sometimes bored with a little baby in a manger is because we tend only to focus on the little baby in the manger. We kind of forget who he was and what he was called to do and be. Now, that little phrase that says, and his name shall be called Literally translated means he will justly bear his name. Now, I happen to know what my name means. It means spear. Okay. Direct, (laughs) pointed, (laughs) assaulting, (laughs) in battle, in war. Okay. Some of you may know what your name actually means. Nancy, I know, means gracious one. Somebody knew what they were talking about when they named her. But this little phrase, his name shall be called, means he will justly carry that name. And technically, all four descriptions make up his name. And and it's it's in the singular. It doesn't say these are the names. Rather, it says his name is. The big difference. That's similar to the fruit of the spirit. Now, you would never say the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. Uh, as if you're going through a buffet line and taking whatever fruit you want. Uh, so this is you get the whole package in one. His name is Wonderful counsellor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of peace. So let's talk about those names. What's in the name? Well, first of all, I suggest to you that he's profound. He's called the Wonderful counsellor. Uh, the word wonderful means full of wonder. Uh, it means to be, Uh, exceptional or astonishing or extraordinary. And, And that adjective, wonderful, is coupled with that word counselor. And I think most of you probably figure out that a counselor tends to be an advisor or a consultant. And so life is filled with all kinds of decisions you and I need to make. There's all kinds of details that come into our life on a daily basis. We've got some good, we've got some bad. And that's why sometimes people need to seek out a counsellor. And I find myself as a pastor kind of being stuck in that role and even as a teacher before that time, people came up and said, you know, at one point, Mr. Kolb, or sometimes they came up and said Coach Kolb, and then they, all of a sudden they come up to me and start talking about Pastor Kolb, and then all of a sudden you get elevated Dr. Kolb. You know, we need to have a certain amount of advice on this. And I think sometimes more often than not, I said, Well I can only tell you what I as a human know, but maybe you ought to consult the real one who knows all of the answers. So we need to ask ourselves uh, what this counselor is. This, this wonderful one is coupled with counselor and advisor. We need a wonderful one. And David writes in, in Psalm 16, verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Now, he's offering advice to us all the time. Another example is found in Isaiah chapter 11, which describes a shoot coming up out of a stump of Jesse, and out that shoot that's coming out of the stump of Jesse, which would be Jesus, it says, will have the spirit of what? Counsel and might. Now, what makes a good counselor? I don't know if you've ever been to a counselor. There's marriage counselors, there's all kinds of counselors. What are you looking for? Well, I would suggest you're looking for somebody who's available. You don't want somebody to put you on hold to call a counselor. Uh, I have a real problem. Can I call you back in a while? No, you want somebody who's available. You want somebody who gives you his undivided attention. Now, as you're talking and he's sitting there going with his phone and watching, looking at Facebook and texting to people, you really don't want a counselor quite like that. Uh, You want somebody who's able to provide comfort. You know, when you're in and you're feeling sorry and sad, and somebody says, hey, suck it up, big boy, deal with it. That's not necessarily what you're looking for at that particular time. You want somebody who's going to remain confidential. They're not going to be blabbing everything you just said to them, to everybody else who comes. Man, I'm glad you came in because that other jerk who just was in there ahead of you, you should hear his problems. Boy, he is really lost. You don't want anybody like that either. You want somebody who can tell you the truth about yourself, while at the same time giving you some advice that will help with the changes in your life. So here's my first big question. Is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Is he the one that you turn to to find out who you really are? Well, let's take a look at the next thing. He's powerful. He says he's a mighty God. Now, mighty means strong. Uh, it means powerful. It also means valiant warrior. And David asks in Psalm 24, Who is the king of glory? And then he answers himself, The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. In other words, he's the God hero. The God hero. See, Jesus can manage anything in your life, my life, the life of this church, the life of this world, because he's mighty. Uh, you want proof? Open up your Bible and you find out what did Jesus do. Uh, he healed lame people. People couldn't get up and walk. Uh, he uh, healed the blind. I mean, spitting and putting mud on some guys. I said, OK, now go wash it up. You, you'll be able to see again. Uh, sick people. He just cured them. Uh, he calmed the storm when the storms come up and the disciples were freaking out. Jesus says, what? Peace, be still. He's got that power. Uh, his best friend Lazarus dies. He delays going to the funeral and the disciples get upset. He says, hey, don't worry about it. I got this. And what does he do? Lazarus comes forth, raises him from the grave. See, Jesus can do the absolute impossible today in your life. I don't know what your life is like today. If you've got a problem, if you've got something that's weighing you down, Jesus has the answer to help. Because he is the holy hero. Let God fight your battles. Now, as the wonderful counselor, he also makes plans. As the mighty God, he actually makes plans work. So again, I'd ask the second question, is Jesus your mighty God? Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, but I will trust in, what, the name of the Lord. Who are you trusting? Here, the third thing here, he's personal. says he's the everlasting Father. And everlasting means exactly about what you think in Hebrew. It means kind of a continuous existence. He's He's always been there. He's always here now. He's always going to be. And here we see that God is before. uh, God is above. uh, God is beyond. God is under. God surrounds us. It literally means that he lives in the forever. Isn't that amazing? He lives in the forever. I mean, just focus on the fact that he's a forever God. Who cares with compassion. Some of you know compassion is my, in, in the Greek, I love that word compassion. It's sponk I like to say that. It's almost as fun as saying mercy. Hesed. But sponk means to feel it in your guts. I mean, that's the kind of God we have who has compassion. Uh, Psalm one hundred three thirteen, for example, says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Do you ever see your kids suffer one way or the other? And your, your heart went out to them. You would have done anything to be able to help. That's our God, even more so. Or Isaiah 40, verse 11. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd, gathering the little lambs in his arms, carrying them in his bosom, and gently leading those that are young. From the cradle to the grave. So here's my third question to you. Is Jesus your everlasting father? Well, here's the fourth one. It says he is peaceful. He's the prince of peace. He's the leader of peace. He's the ruler of peace. Or it can be translated very easily in Hebrew. The prince whose coming brings peace. Now, a prince in Bible times was also called the general of the army. Now, that sounds kind of odd, but the prince was leading people into battle. It describes his leadership. It describes his authority. And this is an expression of angelic adoration. If you read the Christmas story sometimes, go back and read Luke chapter 2. And you get down to verse 14. It will say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's well pleased. You get that? the highest, but peace down here. He's able to do that. In the Old Testament, we, we talked about this last week, I think, that the word peace is that Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is a state of wholeness, it's a state of harmony. Uh, it's intended to resonate with all relationships. So if I walked into Restore and I saw you and I just said, hey, Mary Ellen, shalom. That's a way of greeting people. Uh, sometimes uh, you use it a little bit different. Uh, sometimes it's a wish for outward freedom. I know what struggle you've been through, but shalom. I'm asking that freedom come. Sometimes I might say shalom or peace be with you as a sense of well-being. To people constantly harassed, people or peace was the premier blessing you could give somebody. I mean, if I were sitting as usual at Hollister Coffee Company and somebody decides to plop themselves down close and I get to talking to them, and all of a sudden, they start talking about how bad their life has been recently. And uh, we get into a conversation. What should I help bring into their lives? But shalom. Peace. Not suck it up, big boy. Deal with it. Don't bother me with your problems. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back again. No more, no more. But shalom. Shalom. Peace. I can't give you the peace, but I know somebody who can give you real peace. I can point you back to the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, all of those kinds of things. We also use this word sometimes in our services. Uh, in Matthew, or not Matthew, in Numbers, uh, chapter 6, 24. In 26, God actually gave Moses some words to use for people. And this is going to sound familiar to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you what? Peace. Shalom. I saw the scariest this morning on Facebook. It it popped up the scariest cities to be living in during the Christmas season. One of them was in Missouri, (laughs) St. Louis. Another one was very close to, I was born in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, which is a suburb of another one, Denver. We used to live up close to Chicago. It's like a lack of peace follows us around the country. (laughs) Seattle, (laughs) Los Angeles, a lack of peace. This world can be pretty scary. It can even be scary here in Branson-Hollister area, a different time. And most of us find ourselves kind of grasping sometimes for the temporal, for security. But in the midst of fear, in the midst of insecurity, the New Testament describes kind of three different spheres of peace. One of them is peace with God. That's that vertical dimension. We've got peace with God. That's one of the spheres. Now, peace of God, uh, that place takes place internally. I've I've got peace in my heart. And then peace also with other people, which is horizontal. So I've got it covered this way, this way, and that way. So another question to ask you this morning, is Jesus your Prince of Peace? When you feel hopeless, hapless, and helpless, you're frenzied, you're running around, as they used to say, like a chicken with his head cut off. Or as my grandma used to get it wrong, running around like a chicken with his legs cut off. I never understood that one but I kind of got the general idea of what she was trying to say. Now, I like the last part of Isaiah 9, verse 7. It says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, the word zeal means an intense, passionate desire. Uh, Jeremiah 59, or Isaiah 59, 17 says, God has wrapped himself in zeal like a cloak. So God is is greatly and genuinely desirous of seeing his plan of redemption work in your life and in the life of all people. And that phrase, Lord of hosts, we've looked at that any number of times in the in the last months as we've been going through the book of Psalms. Jehovah Saba, the, the Hebrew, which means the Lord of the angel armies. God has charge of all the armies. And he's got at least three kinds of armies at his disposal. And I, there's something really cool I, I discovered as I'm reading through this this last couple of weeks. God used all three different kinds of armies to activate the first Christmas. You ever think about that? He activated the Roman government to call for a census so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. He also caused the stars, the star in heaven to burn bright enough to get the attraction of some wise guys living in the Far East to get them to come hundreds of miles. And then when Jesus was born, what did he do? He unleashed, An entire army of angels where they sang Handel's Messiah. What we know is Handel's Messiah to the shepherds. See, he, he has arranged all the details of his plan to deliver you from the bondage of sin and offers you his profound counsel. He offers you his powerful character. He offers you his personal comfort and he offers you his peaceful countenance now all of this and yet the most important part of Isaiah 9 6 were the first three words remember the first three words of Isaiah 9 6 for unto us for unto us we actually see them repeated for to us a child is born to us a son is given so the gift of Christ is a personal gift to us Remember, a gift requires a response. It's what I sometimes call a gift for a gift gift. But <laughs> so if somebody gives you something nice, you do something nice back. If I put a gift underneath your tree, uh, you may acknowledge it. Um, you may admire it. You may even thank me for it. Uh, but it isn't really yours until you unwrap the package and take it for yourself. And so that's just simply Jesus calling you by name. Now, we've talked about his name today, but he also calls each of us by name. He knows us. And he says, just like I was born into this world to save a family, I want you to be part of the family. And so I want you to recognize me as your father. Last question. Will you call out to the only name given under heaven by which you must be saved? Will you call on your Father? We're going to get a chance to do that a little bit later when we go through the our what? Father.